It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Friday, October 22nd, 2021. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. State health officials reported 10 new coronavirus infections among residents in Sitka on Wednesday, pushing the community's total number of cases to 23 over the last seven days. One additional non-resident case is under investigation. Sitka's total number of cases since the beginning of the pandemic now stands at 1,176. The Sitka School District reported one additional case associated with Sitka High School, putting the active case count within the district at three. Wildlife officials this week shot and killed three brown bears who had been frequenting Sitka's waste transfer station. That makes nine bears so far that have been destroyed in Sitka this year, and it's likely that more will be put down before the season is over. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. The sow and her two sub-adult cubs were never far from the Jarvis Street transfer station, which is tucked behind the city shops not far from Sitka's post office. It's not unusual for bears to get into municipal trash anywhere in Alaska, but this family was especially persistent. These three bears in particular were very regular and they were damaging property at the station and putting the people that work there and other members of the public at uh, what I believed a public safety risk. And so uh, we had opportunity to dispatch those bears. And so the police were able to do that. Steve Bethune is the area wildlife biologist for the state. He worked until 3 a.m. Wednesday morning skinning the bears. Two of the hides were in good condition and will be sold at auction. The third was disposed of. Bethune says the bears did not seem put off by the activity and equipment at the transfer station. Brown bears are now in hyperphagia and are consuming as much food as they can prior to going into dens for the winter. These weren't the only animals drawn to Sitka's municipal waste stream. The night before, I have reports of eight different bears, including the three that were dispatched. So another sow with triplet cubs and then another single bear had also visited the transfer station the day prior. The transfer station is a stone's throw from Kazdahin, Indian River, which runs under the highway and into Sitka National Historical Park. The trails there were frequently closed during the height of the salmon run to prevent bear-human encounters. But the fishing tapers off just as hyperphagia sets in, and the result is more intense bear activity than in summertime. And in 2021, that activity is proving more intense than usual. This year does seem to be a lot more aggressive behavior than I've seen in the past. So we've had reports of bears breaking garage doors. We've had uh, two or three cars broken into, sheds being broken into, siding torn off of houses. Uh, We've had several incidents of uh, hunters in the field having negative encounters with with brown bears after um, harvesting deer. So um, definitely activities is, seems more ramped up than in previous years. Bethune says that he's working with the transfer station to come up with a plan to install an electric fence around the top loading area. Although the staff there keep the deck clean, a wire can be a relatively inexpensive and effective solution to deter bears. He suggests that homeowners who lack a garage, shed, or other indoor place to store trash could also set up inexpensive electric fence kits and their cans would be considered secure. Bethune says that once a bear becomes dependent on garbage as a food source, that behavior won't change. 
The nine bears killed so far this season are likely not the last. Bethune says that he and state wildlife troopers and Sitka police are all in direct communication about additional bears that we think need to be removed. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. Many people in Ketchikan heard a rumble and felt a small jolt Wednesday evening as a magnitude 2.5 earthquake struck Carroll Inlet, about 15 miles northeast of town. As KRBD's Eric Stone reports, quakes are relatively uncommon in the area. Researchers have recorded more than 37,000 earthquakes in Alaska this year alone. But Alaska Earthquake Center seismologist Matt Gardeen says they're far less common in southeast, especially near Ketchikan. He says just about 25 have been recorded in the southern panhandle this year. So they're not unheard of, of course. Um, but most of them are actually centered on, there's a, a major fault system offshore, the Queen Charlotte Fault. And most of the earthquakes actually occur there, so they're never felt by anybody. Gardeen says quakes closer to the southeast coast, where they can be felt, are rarer. So why does southeast Alaska experience fewer earthquakes than other parts of the state? Well, Gardeen says, for one, the region has a smaller fault system than in, say, Anchorage. There are also a lot fewer people, and they're pretty well spread out. And Gardeen says it also has to do with the type of faults that run under southeast Alaska. Under Anchorage, the Anchorage area, um, that's where we have a subduction occurring of the Pacific Plate under North America. Uh, out by Ketchikan, it's, uh, the faults are a little different. They're strike-slip, so they're very similar to the San Andreas. It's actually the same general fault system, uh, Pacific, moving past North America uh, sideways. He says those strike-slip, sideways-moving faults tend to produce fewer earthquakes. Every so often, though, there is a major quake on the Queen Charlotte Fault. A magnitude 7.5 off the coast of Prince of Wales Island shook the region in 2013, and a smaller 6.0 in Glacier Bay National Park the following year was widely felt as well, but neither caused widespread damage. All told, Gardeen says the earthquake risk in southeast Alaska is quite a bit lower than in other parts of the state. He says the biggest threat to the region isn't earthquakes, but tsunamis. In particular, these would be tsunamis that are induced from landslides. You know, with the steep terrain there, they're, they're prone to, to both above shore and undersea landslides that could be triggered by earthquakes. And those could cause extremely large tsunamis with very little warning. One of those landslide-induced tsunamis happened in Latuya Bay in 1958. After a magnitude 7.8 earthquake sent 90 million tons of rock tumbling into the bay, a tsunami sheared away two square miles of forest at elevations of up to 1,700 feet. Gardeen says Wednesday's much more mild tremor was a good reminder that earthquakes can strike anywhere in the state and that folks should be ready to drop cover and hold on when the earth shakes. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. The first round of checks are in the mail to help child care centers across the state. They're only a small fraction of the nearly $100 million in federal COVID relief funding Alaska has to stabilize its child care system. As Claire Strimple reports for KTOO, care centers say they need more and it can't come fast enough. So this is our preschool room. This is our three to four-year-olds. The desks in the room come up to Amanda Gornick's shins. She's the director of Gold Creek Child Development Center, a preschool and daycare in downtown Juneau. So this room we can have up to 12, or actually up to 20, um, but we currently only have six in here. She's running at under half capacity right now, at serious financial cost to the business. 
Just 29 students are enrolled. And that's despite huge demand. I have 125 kids on our waiting list. And it's, we know that we have the room, but if we don't have the staff, we can't offer those spots and we can't fill them. Gornick is trying to hire. She's offering a $1,000 signing bonus. She has 11 teachers, and she would like about three more. But things are going in the wrong direction. Gornick has been director for only two months. And two teachers have put in their notice since she started. COVID is stressing our staffs out. Um, because we don't have as many here, we are, they're overworked. Um, we have a lot of teachers doing overtime, just not feeling like burned out, feeling overwhelmed, um, stress sometimes isn't worth it for them. And so they're leaving. And it's devastating to us all. COVID-19 is stressing a system that was already struggling. Nearly a fifth of the state's licensed child care facilities have closed since March 2020. Relief money is on the way. The state received about $95 million from the federal government this spring to address the child care crunch. And it's scrambling to figure out how best to distribute the money. That's while guidance from the feds trickles in after. So far, the state has written a grant program to distribute only $5 million of that statewide. And, and we are hearing that providers are concerned that there isn't enough um, funding being distributed initially and that um, the timeline is taking too long. Shonda O'Brien is the director of the Division of Public Assistance, the office responsible for distributing the funds to child care centers. O'Brien's staff is moving cautiously because the federal millions are a one-time payment. They want to make an impact that's sustainable with a funding source that's limited. The typical budget to manage Alaska's child care programs is about $28 million. Federal relief more than quadruples it. You know, our role in it um, traditionally has not really existed at the level that it does now because of the funding that we have. So the funding is really giving us the ability to help um, address those issues. So she and her staff just got the windfall of their dreams, but say it's a challenge to spend it right. Meanwhile, care centers are hurting. Gornick's Juno Preschool asked the state for $6,800 and is likely to get it. The state is awarding all requests up to $11,000 from qualifying centers. Gornick plans to spend hers on bonuses for her current teachers and signing bonuses to attract new ones. But how far will that $6,800 go? Not very far, but we will take anything that we can get, and I'm blessed um, to use this to further our recruitment process. By the end of the year, the state aims to have a plan for the remaining $90 million. Applications for the next round of funding should be available between January and March. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Claire Strempel. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. Mm-hmm.